You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A difficult day in a new Westminster courtroom where sentencing began for Lisa Batstone. Batstone found guilty of second-degree murder in the death of her eight-year-old daughter, Tegan. Grace Key was in the courtroom today. And Grace, you heard those victim impact statements and spoke with Tegan's father and stepmother about the impact of this tragedy. Yeah, it was incredibly heart-wrenching to hear that in court. They talked about how this has impacted their lives and the lives of their two young sons. And just before court wrapped up, Lisa Batstone made a weeping statement in court. Just the happy child, right, pushed, being pushed on the swing with her brother, of course. Gabe Batstone brought pictures of his daughter Tegan on the day he read his victim impact statement to a new Westminster judge. In front of a packed courtroom, he talked about questions his son would ask about Tegan's mother. Is Tegan's mommy going to die me too? Right, you know, and to think a three-year-old's thought before they go to sleep at night is, is someone going to kill me? In court, Tegan's stepmother, Stephanie, described how her son initially thought she had killed his sister. For two weeks after, our two-year-old was scared to be alone with me and he would cry and scream and we couldn't figure it out. And finally we realized that it was because he thought I killed Tegan because to him I was Tegan's mother. In December 2014, Lisa smothered her daughter with a plastic bag in their Surrey home, saying she wanted her to be with Jesus. Tegan's body was found in the trunk of a car. Lisa was found guilty of second-degree murder. It carries a life sentence. Crown is asking Lisa to spend 16 to 18 years in prison before she's eligible for parole. Defense, 10 years. We lost 70 years of life, love, and family with Tegan because one person chose to kill an innocent defenseless child with their bare hands. Stephanie also told the judge how this has traumatized their family and how one of their sons had to transfer schools. The other children knew about it and so he did have to live through some very terrible situations of just kids not understanding the gravity of what they were doing, frankly, or saying about this. About this. Before court ended, Lisa Batstone read from a statement. Weeping, she apologized to Tegan and her father, saying, being her mama was the best part of my life. Every morning I wake up to this excruciating nightmare. She was the greatest love. I can't believe I did what I did, but I know her death was my fault. Hmm. All right, Grace, do we know when the judge is expected to come back with the sentencing decision? Yeah, the judge is expected to be coming back here September 3rd, so we'll know then on parole eligibility. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Grace Key, reporting for us tonight. Burnaby RCMP are trying to determine the circumstances around a collision involving a pedestrian and a transit bus. Several witnesses tell Global News the pedestrian was involved in a fight just moments before he ended up in the road and was struck. Ruminadea has more on his condition now and what police are saying about the arrests of two men. In the heart of Burnaby Heights, residents dodge crime scene tape as police continue their investigation. So they started punching each other. That's when I phoned 911. Witnesses say three men were involved. The fight broke out on the sidewalk near Carlton Avenue and East Hastings Tuesday during rush hour just before 6 p.m. He falls and tries to get up, tries to attack him again, the native guy, and he falls back and the bus comes flying out of nowhere and he got him on the side of the bus. The 33-year-old victim was rushed to hospital. Police say he suffered life-threatening injuries. 
The bus driver who hit him was not injured. TransLink says the driver is cooperating with police and he has been offered counseling services. We want to determine if, if uh, the man was in the roadway as a result of the altercation or, or if, it, if it was some other, something else. While police tried to pin down exactly what happened, more than half a dozen witnesses say a turf war over a lucrative panhandling spot sparked the fight. They had a sign that says, looking for, uh, for food and money, we're homeless. So they came over here where unusually there's normal people that panhandle here. Understand? So were they stepping on their turf? Yeah. Police arrested two men on scene. One was released. He's considered a witness. A 62-year-old man was taken into custody. Barnaby RCMP say the bus driver is not under investigation. The victim remains in hospital. No charges have been laid. Romina Dea, Global News. Sorry, RCMP have released their top 10 list for the worst crash intersections in that city. The top two include uh, 96th Avenue and King George Boulevard. In first place, 128th Street and 96th Avenue. Last year in Surrey, 19 people were killed, 20 seriously injured as a result of vehicle collisions. That's not including the 290 pedestrians who were struck. We're not just speaking to people who are driving on the roadway. Um, this involves the uh, pedestrians as well as cyclists. Um, not every pedestrian involved collision is as a result of a behavior of a driver. Some of the collisions that we've seen involving pedestrians have to do with pedestrian distraction. So, you know, this is a good time and an opportunity for us to highlight some of these numbers and allow people to take that opportunity to take stock of their own behavior and help us to reduce the number of deaths and serious injuries and pedestrians being struck on Surrey's roads. Victoria police are releasing surveillance video of a person of interest in a disturbing incident. Last week, an employee at Hillside Mall found a kitten that had been zipped in a shaving kit and then thrown in the trash. The kitten was taken for treatment and is still being cared for. Police have released this CCTV footage. Officers would like to speak with the man seen here as he might have information that could further the investigation. Vic PD says he was driving a dark gray vehicle, possibly a 2010 Ford Escape. Anyone with information is asked to call Victoria Police. Well, summer plans are ruined for dozens of families tonight as the news spreads that a once popular houseboat company has suddenly gone into receivership. Waterway houseboats has been a staple in the Shushwap region for decades, but now many are out thousands of dollars. Aaron MacArthur has more on what happened and the options for those affected. The boats are coming out of Mara Lake. Its assets frozen. Waterway Houseboats is in receivership. The news coming as a huge blow to the economy in Sycamus. Many as 150 people are employed by that company, so yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's, it's going to be hugely impacting them, and that's a huge concern for, for myself as being the mayor here as to, um, you know, what can we do to help support those people? And for customers of the bankrupt company, the news has meant sleepless nights. People already paying thousands of dollars for trips that won't happen. Many upset that Waterway continued to take bookings and people's money when management must have known they were underwater. I feel that they could have been a little bit more honest or more transparent or maybe not taken all of my money. Maybe just a deposit like they did last year. Waterway was unavailable for comment. 
But in a statement on its website, the company blames a flood in 2012 for the start of its financial struggles. While a legal case wound its way through the courts, the company was spending millions to renovate and update its fleet. According to court documents, after softer-than-usual bookings for the summer, the bank demanded repayment from Waterway of almost $8 million. The downturn in the economy in Alberta and you've got the pipeline issues and, you know, a lot of these things that are happening, you know, impact, uh, you know, these small communities and the businesses in these communities. Sycamoose, known as the houseboating capital of Canada. The community and rival companies scrambling to accommodate as many rebooked trips as possible. Everybody here will do everything they can to assist them so that they can still enjoy their vacation in Sycamus this summer. Consumer advocates say customers who paid for their trips with credit cards stand a better chance of getting a refund, but it will take a while. There's no indication that the receiver intends to run the business, instead likely selling off assets to pay creditors. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A Vancouver elementary school has covered up a plaque bearing the name of a controversial historical figure. The plaque commemorating Cecil Rhodes was installed under a basketball court at L'Ecole Bilang in 2017. Rhodes controlled and exploited southern Africa in the days of the British Empire. Following concerns raised by the community, the fate of that sign is now being debated. Vancouver School Board trustee has submitted a motion to have the sign removed permanently. A decision will be voted on at a board meeting later this month. A long-awaited shift in wireless service is coming for consumers. Starting tomorrow, Rogers will be offering unlimited data plans, no caps and no overage charges. Jordan Armstrong has more on the change and one potential catch. For Kyle Cheng, one phone just isn't enough. Two devices, two data plans, and he's already blown his monthly cap. What do you think of the data plans in Canada? Well, they're the most expensive in the world, right? Unlimited data plans are common in other countries. Tourists are baffled. Canada is so far behind. I actually I come from Scotland, and in Scotland most of the phone contracts are unlimited data. I've actually kept my other um, cell phone provider because it it um, does have unlimited in Canada and the U.S. Now Canada is slowly catching up. Rogers becoming the first of the big three providers to offer an unlimited data package. Increasingly customers have been uh, telling us that uh, data overage and uh, worry-free wireless is really critical to their ability to use wireless services. Of course, there's a catch with the Rogers plan. After 10 gigabytes of high-speed data, customers will be shifted to the slow lane, unlimited surfing, but at reduced speeds. After you hit your, ironically, data cap, uh, you're being throttled from LTE to 3G, which significantly reduces the speed of your connection and what you can actually do with your phone. Consumer advocacy group Open Media questioning the timing of Rogers' announcement, pointing out it comes amid a CRTC review of the wireless market. I think that they, they want to be able to pat themselves on the back and show the CRTC that they've done the thing. Uh, and I think that they're also scared of the prospect of uh, the review resulting in new providers coming into the market and fostering actual competition. We asked TELUS and Bell if they'll match Rogers, but no one from either phone company called us back. For Kyle Chang, the new Rogers plan, which starts at $75 per month, is no bargain. I mean, you're down in the U.S. right now, I mean, you get about 10 gigs or so for $50 or so. I mean, it's still not competitive. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. 
Right now, though, it's a common frustration. And according to a new poll, the overwhelming majority of us are tired of throwing out and replacing devices that should be easy to repair. Not only is it expensive, but the garbage is a global concern. John Hua has more on the push for right to repair legislation. You know it's never good when a repair expert compares fixing your electronics to climbing Mount Everest. You're chasing the top of the mountain. It's basically impossible. Jung says with every new model, many tech manufacturers are making their products harder to repair, increasing the chances that latest buy will become a brick. They customized all the parts uh, just for their like one or two unique products. That frustration reaching a breaking point among Canadians. It's a little greedy. I don't like it at all, man. A new poll shows 75% are in support of right-to-repair legislation, forcing companies to provide an easier fix. Companies are purposely making it harder, uh, not for technological reasons often, but just to make it uh, more difficult so they can control their repair services. Many Canadians are just buying new. 44% said they replaced or discarded their device because they couldn't fix a cracked or broken screen. 42% tossed out technology because of battery issues. And 22% said so long to their electronic device because it no longer supported software updates. Manufacturers should be required to uh, release repair information uh, for the products they sell. The butterfly mechanism below the keys is extremely difficult and easy to break. Currently, it's up to groups like iFixit to tear apart devices on their own dime, crack the repair code, and post how-to videos online. 99% of people, we are just our customers, right? We're just trying to use things longer. Fewer universal and replaceable parts means salvaging and recycling perfectly good components is also an uphill battle. That's leaving both the consumer and the environment in need of an upgrade. John Hua, Global News. Despite initiatives like temporary modular housing, the number of homeless people in Vancouver is up again this year. We need to make sure that homelessness is rare, brief and one time. And this starts with making sure we have homes for people. When the annual count began in March, it was hoped this year's numbers would actually decrease, but results released today show just over 2,200 people call themselves homeless. That's up 2% from last year and the fourth straight annual increase. Still, the city says the rate of growth has slowed. One of the big takeaways from this, these statistics this morning is that 27% of those reported uh, those included in the count reported that they've been homelessness, homeless for less than six months, and 41% said they've been homeless uh, for less than a year. So this means there's a lot of new people entering uh, into this pool of folks who are without a home. Vancouver's mayor is praising the provincial government for its investment in housing, but says the federal government has yet to commit any real money to the problem. A major boost for young people living in B.C.'s capital city. Starting in September, anyone under the age of 18 who lives in Victoria will get free public transit. Kylie Stanton tells us why the city is making the move and how they'll pay for it. It's cheaper than a car, gas and parking. Still, boarding a bus can add up. For Victoria students, an annual pass comes to $540 a piece, but not for long. So starting this fall, uh, kids who live in the city of Victoria will get free transit. 
The Victoria Regional Transit Commission voted Tuesday to approve a City of Victoria motion to provide free transit for anyone under the age of 18 living in the city. And it's being done without raising any taxes. Instead, the money will be coming from parking revenue that currently brings in about $8 million a year. But as of May 1st, the city started charging for parking on Sundays, which is expected to add between $600,000 and $1 million to the pot. With 6,350 youth in the city and passes at a cost of $135 a year, that should be enough to cover it while families can save. It's uh, money back in parents' pockets that can be spent on food or rent or maybe ballet or soccer. The idea is to create lifelong transit riders, starting them young. What's being called a promising step in combating climate change. Now, students from around the Capital Regional District are hoping the Commission will consider expanding the program to include other municipalities. So we really want it to be a CRD-wide thing. Um, and so we really hope that the Transit Commission, after looking into it more, decides to um, do, do it for the whole region. But we're still waiting to hear more. And naturally, that's sparking the question. Free transit for all. The idea is already being applauded by transit users. We encourage them to use the bus rather than a car. There's way too many cars. But with roughly one-third of transit revenues coming from ridership, it will take time. The city is hoping to look at what the total cost might be and then put it to the public. What I'd love to see is a referendum in 2022 across the region to say, here's the price tag, do you want to pay? Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Quite the show in False Creek this afternoon. Wow! wow. I've lived here 22 years. I've never 22 seen 22 years, we've yeah. never seen this. Yeah. A pod of orcas dazzling onlookers and stirring up excitement. The orcas, believed to be transient, were first spotted near the Canby Bridge, but several more sightings soon followed near Stamps Landing, David Lamb Park, and out toward the planetarium. Normally we'll, we might see them out near Point Grey, sometimes they'll come into Burrard Inlet or into Howe Sound, but it's a quite a rare occurrence to see them in False Creek. So likely they were there looking for harbour seals. We have quite a healthy harbour seal population in Vancouver and it is pupping season, so they were likely there looking for food. Protests turn violent in Hong Kong as tens of thousands take to the streets to fight a new law they say will erode their civil liberties. That proposed bill would allow criminal suspects in Hong Kong to be sent to mainland China for trial. And that's raising concern about greater Chinese control over the semi-autonomous territory. A tense showdown in Hong Kong. Thousands of demonstrators opposed to a controversial law squaring off against riot police. Chaos. Police firing tear gas, pepper spray, even rubber bullets into the crowd. Protesters hurled bottles and bricks and toppled barricades. So police have used several canisters of tear gas to push the protesters back. Now they're going through and they are clearing these streets. The clashes over a proposal to allow people here to be sent to mainland China for trials, exposing fears the Chinese government is chipping away at Hong Kong's independent court system. On Sunday, as many as a million people held a mostly peaceful rally against the proposal. But tonight, it's a city on edge. 
Two Canadians who were abducted in Africa earlier this month have been rescued. The women were kidnapped in Ghana in the city of Kumasi, about 250 kilometers from the country's capital. They were on an exchange program with a local university. Global Affairs Canada says the women have been released and consular officials are assisting them and their families. It is the second time in less than a month that foreigners have been targeted in Ghana. An Indian national was also abducted and rescued. First sentencing today in that college admissions scandal. I have learned much from my mistake and I will take those lessons forward in my life. Former Stanford University sailing coach John Vandemore was given one day in jail, time served, six months of home confinement and a $10,000 fine. Vandemore took nearly $700,000 in bribes. But the court was told he pocketed none of that money. Instead, he funneled it all into the sailing program. Today marks the 25th anniversary of one of the most notorious murders in U.S. history. And it sparked the trial of the century. Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were killed on June 12, 1994, outside her Los Angeles home. Football legend O.J. Simpson, who was married to Nicole, was charged with their murders and famously fled from police in a white Bronco. In a shocking verdict carried on live television, Simpson was acquitted of the crime, but a civil jury in 1997 found him liable for wrongful death and he was ordered to pay millions to the families. They say they have received less than 1% of that amount. Simpson now lives in Las Vegas after serving nine years for a robbery kidnapping conviction. It's been a big day for a BC tech company. Its employees gathering early this morning to watch their work shot into space. For 15 years, Richmond's MDA Corporation has managed a $1.2 billion Canadian satellite program that culminated today in a SpaceX launch from California. Linda Ellsworth explains how the project will transform Canada's ability to monitor itself. Three, two, one. This was the scene at the space technology company MDA in Richmond this morning. To imagine what happens in just a short 10 minutes, it launches and lands, and then our satellites are spending off into space. It did take a lot of imagination, because much of the launch from the Vandenberg Air Force Base in California was obscured by clouds. But then, there she was. Super happy, super excited. I mean, this is a fantastic day for MDA, fantastic day for Canada. What's exciting for Canada isn't so much the Falcon 9 rocket, but its payload, three SAR satellites. Canada's a leader in SAR satellite technology, which unlike other satellites, does not use cameras to image Earth. SAR satellites um, use radar to image the Earth and catch the return signal, and they can do that through cloud, and they can do that day and night. This SAR antenna in real life is about seven meters long, so you get a sense of, of the scale. The fact that three SAR satellites were deployed today, there goes the first one off the left side of the screen, is another reason the RadarSat Constellation mission, a $1.2 billion Canadian government-funded project, is unique. The three satellites together can work in unison. Having three gives you that much more capacity to cover and image the Earth more frequently. The information they gather will be invaluable. So with these satellites, we can monitor shift traffic out to hundreds of kilometers, making uh, any uh, Department of National Defense mission a lot easier and a lot quicker to respond. 
They can also be used to track environmental changes and help in natural disasters like floods. With a satellite that's orbiting the Earth, you can quickly take images of that area and provide information to the response teams about the extent, which roads are passable, which roads are not passable. It's a great day for Canada. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, singer-songwriter John Legend is making a change to men's restrooms across North America just in time for Father's Day. I call this the piano solo. Dads have to resort to all these maneuvers because there's no changing stations in our restroom. Parents, we hear Legend is partnering with Pampers to install 5,000 change tables in men's restrooms across Canada and the U.S. Pampers says nine out of ten dads have used a public restroom without a change table. The first 500 are expected to be installed in the coming weeks. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Three fishermen from Calgary will never forget their trip to B.C. after landing a massive fish on the Fraser River. We busted a reel here. This fish is so big. Led by the company Sturgeon Hunter, the three, snag the three snagged an 11-foot sturgeon near Chilliwack, estimated to be about 800 pounds and more than 100 years old. We couldn't believe it. This fish came out of the water probably three times you know, 10 to 15 feet in the air, and it, and it just, it was, it was incredible. To me, it looked like a, a shark coming out of the water. It's like hard a to, great white. Great white. <laughs> it was incredible, yeah. I can't even describe it. It's like hooking onto a truck and just letting it go. Wherever that sturgeon wanted to go, we went, and we had to follow it. It was just hooking on and holding on for that ride, the ride of a lifetime. Sturgeon Hunter says another group of fishermen caught another massive sturgeon, 10 feet long and weighing about 600 pounds just last week. And of course, both fish were released back into the river. Well, new video is reigniting the age-old debate about B.C.'s legendary lake creature. An Okanagan man says he has hard evidence that Okanagan Lake's Ogopogo is more than just a myth. Global's Shelby Tom reports. What is it? Jim LaRock says he couldn't believe his eyes. Can't be a wave. Mysterious ripples breaking through Skaha Lake's glassy surface near Kaledon on June 1st. And all I heard was like a swooshing sound, like swoosh, swoosh. He scrambled to pull out his cell phone and hit record as his son waited on a paddleboard nearby. He turns and sees a flipper come up out of the water and hit the water. Take another look. LaRock believes this mysterious wake is actually seven fins paddling in sync. So if you flip the dragon boat upside down, you would see all those oars kind of coming out of the water. More than 120 feet long, he's convinced it's the most conclusive evidence yet of the legendary lake serpent. And this is, in my opinion, a definitive Ogopogo um, sighting. So watch this, it goes up. And boom. Great. Customers and colleagues at his liquor store clamoring to get a glimpse for themselves. That's pretty weird. It's not like normal waves. Is at first I was thinking maybe just waves, but there's obviously something more there. Self-proclaimed legend hunter Bill Stasiak runs a website documenting sightings of the elusive lake monster. He says he's personally seen it twice in 2015 and back in 1978. Well, it's... <laughs> It's certainly an interesting video. But the Kelowna retiree is skeptical of LaRock's alleged sighting, given its location and size. 
there's never been really any reports of anything that big. I believe it's something that I will call an Ogopogo wave. This UBCO environmental scientist says there could be a plausible theory for the bizarre disturbance. I think it's a product of uh, overturn uh, that happens seasonally where lake layers of different temperatures and depths will pass each other. And while mythology may trump logic for some people, if anything, it proves the legend is very much alive. I can't wait till everyone sees the video. It is, it'll make you a believer. It's 100% like definitive. Shelby Tom, Global News. It is pretty weird, that's for sure. Caught on video, an SUV crashes and rolls. After the forecast, the surprising cause and the dramatic rescue. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us uh, with a look at that forecast, and it has been a hot one today, Christy. Yes, so likely about 15 records across the province today, more than what we had yesterday. We had more cloud cover despite that, but let's have a look at the top four here. Uh, Chilliwack. 33.8 degrees, breaking a record from 1932. Port Alberni, 32.2. Asuyu, 31.9. And Pitt Meadows, 30.7. Uh, and we'll get an update on the total or the official numbers um, later on from Environment Canada. But here's a look at the temperatures across the lower mainland. The highs, uh, 34, as we mentioned, in Chilliwack. But a lot of areas at 32 and 33 degrees. And there was enough humidity that these areas felt closer to 37 degrees, even along the water. Water's edge. It was about 29, 30 degrees. Vancouver Island, Port Alberni hit 33. Comox a little cooler at 26, and Tofino also a little cooler, but still sensational conditions for this time of year. And mid 30s all across southern BC. Hot even into the far north, and the hot spot across Canada today is in Lytton at 36.2 degrees, and they're still at that temperature right now. So incredible temperatures. Now overnight tonight, temperatures will cool off to about 14 degrees. So staying uh, still very warm. And we've had thunderstorms in Laclahash all across the Caribou, Central Interior region. And it's because there's a cold front that's swinging across. So that risk of, uh, or that cold front will cause a chance of a thunderstorm tomorrow across many parts of the province as it swings through. Also a chance of showers. So from the BC Peace River area down through the Caribou, Central Interior, and all across the south. But it is pushing out. Uh, and a lot of these uh, thunderstorms are potentially because of of um, instability and daytime heating. Now, here's a look at the south coast. We'll see mainly sunny skies, 28 degrees away from the water. So tomorrow, certainly cooler and Friday cooler still a lot more comfortable for most people. I've put in a chance of showers for Sunday, but there's uncertainty as to whether that will happen. So we'll track that as we get a little closer. And I'll leave you with a shot from this morning, the sunrise uh, in Sydney. Thanks to Mike. Some gorgeous colors. Thank you, Christy. Well, caught on video, Good Samaritans rescue a driver in Nashville after allergies cause a rollover crash. The driver says he had a sneezing attack behind the wheel, causing him to lose control and hit a culvert. Luckily for him, some construction workers and golfers rushed to the rescue, rolling the SUV back onto its wheels and getting him out. And just moments later, the vehicle caught fire. The driver wasn't seriously hurt. That's lucky. All that from allergies. Well, you've had bad allergies. I've had bad allergies. I know what that's like. You sneeze behind you the sneeze. wheel? Sneeze, yes. I, I have, yeah. yes. I've had, you, you know. You can't keep your eyes open when you sneeze, right? Yeah, that's true. A game seven. 
a game seven. Tonight, seven. Game six tomorrow. This is a seventeenth game seven for the Stanley Cup. Really? The last one Always was good when there's a game seven. Two thousand eleven. Really? Yep. Yeah, that didn't go our way. No, it didn't actually. In so many ways. Uh, NHL playoff myths that have always been nothing more than myths. One, a game seven at home is a huge advantage for the home team, obviously. But we saw how that myth was busted eight years ago. And myth number two, you need a veteran goalie, a guy who's been there before to have playoff success. Nope, you don't. You just need a good goalie, no matter how old he is. And the Blues have a good one in rookie Jordan Binnington. St. Louis is looking to bust those myths and win a cup in Boston. Game seven, winner takes all. And they were there in 2011. Yes. And uh, Craig Berube, remember the Blues changed coaches in November, so sometimes that works out pretty well. Early on, Boston had all the chances, couldn't score. And sometimes that comes back to bite you because then the other team gets its chances and you pay. Ryan O'Reilly tips the shot in. Beats Tuka Rask 1-0. Late in the first, very late. Brad Marchand does very little here and then goes to the bench on a line change for some odd reason. Leaves Alex Petrangelo wide open, 2-0. After one, late in the second, it's still 2-0 for the Blues. Remember game seven against the Canucks, the Bruins shut Vancouver out 4-0. Maybe it'll go the other way. Kevin Durant. Underwent surgery today on his injured Achilles, the injury suffered in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. So he will be out at the start of next season for sure. Achilles usually require a long rehab. Certainly won't be in the building tomorrow night for Game 6, which will be the last ever game for the Warriors in Oakland. Next year, they move to a new arena in San Francisco. So Golden State is hoping the final game at Oracle Arena Plus, winning one for KD will help them force a Game 7 in Toronto on Sunday. And I expect our fans to be the loudest they've ever been, especially in the name of Kevin and, you know, bringing his type of spirit he would bring to the fight and, and the competitiveness. Um, I know our fans will do that because we deserve it, but more importantly, Kevin does. We've been the same team all year. You know, we don't get too up. We don't get too down. We live in a moment. You know, we understand that today is today and tomorrow will be another, you know, test for our group. Um, we'll be in a row. We'll be against a team, you know, that'll be ready to go. But, you know, we'll be ready to play too. Women's World Cup, one of the favorites, France, the home team against Norway. This won't be easy. Norway is tough. But France gets the opening goal early in the second half. Valerie Gauvin makes it one nothing. France actually scored all the goals. The only problem was this one was scored in their own net. Wendy Renard. And this, she was just trying to knock it past the goal, obviously. And oh my goodness, it's in. But they would get a penalty shot, the French. And Eugenie Le Sommer. Et le bout! 2-1, France, still unbeaten, Canada, New Zealand on Saturday. When your club has lasted half a century, it's obviously a club a lot of people want to join. And the Musqueam Ladies Golf Club is 50 years old. This is the scene every Tuesday near the first tee at the Musqueam Golf and Learning Academy. Musqueam's Ladies Golf Club, 100 members strong. Come rain or sunshine, always with a theme, this one being a golden one, they're always on the tee. Oh, it's, we've been leading up to this 50 years, I think, um, especially for this group of ladies. They've been together um, for a long time, and they come out and they support 
not just themselves, but uh, everything. Like everything the club does, they're here. They're here for it. Skirts are a little bit longer. Skirts than are a little longer. Now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we always have uh, a fancy cake. You'd naturally think for half a century these women have shared a common bond, and you'd be partially right. For club historian Jill Grant, who's now in her 80s, it's golf and so much more. Everybody in my life knows that I'm here on Tuesday. It means my life right now. <laughs> yeah. You've been a member here since? 1998. And when you joined, you told me you were the? Youngest member. And, and now I'm not. <laughs> what does it mean for you ladies to be out here? I mean, you're celebrating your 50th anniversary, golden anniversary. I have to think it's so much more than just golf. Oh, it's golf is just a wee part of it. It's the family, it's the friendships, the support, hanging in there for each other, being there for each other. It's a real, real special group of people. This is the most ecstatically great club I can ever think of. It really is. It's, I've been here for 30 years. I hate to admit that because it might indicate how old I am. The Musqueam Ladies Club, they're like um, sort of our lifeline. They're here probably five, six times a week. It's awesome. It's a big family group. It, it's our happy place. Yeah, we, we all love being out here. It's, it's perfect. A camera on, no less. I like the sparkly hats. Yes. Coming up on ET Canada, the Degrassi franchise is having a reunion, and you're all invited. Plus, Jennifer Aniston's favorite Friends episode. And is the Taylor Swift and Katy Perry feud really over? All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Sophie. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Everyone sort of got that ready mm -hmm. orange memo today, except you got the purple yeah, one. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so this thing right there. I have what, not what? noticed oh. it. I thought you were before. pointing something at my face. That no thing on your face <laughs> right there, thing. I've never noticed that before. You should get that looked at. That thing. Uh, no, that thing. this thing, yes. That's not too far from our houses. I haven't noticed it before. And I had never noticed it either, but someone said, you should go take a look at that thing, and then I noticed it, and I thought we should well, do, do something on it. Mm -hmm. Here we go. You don't need to have the eye of a giant bird to see all the public art around Vancouver. Like a well-mannered poodle on a pole on Main Street or engagement rings at English Bay, the best-looking five-car pile-up ever on Quebec Street, an alien craft in False Creek, and a sign that marks the east side. But this public art in False Creek is different than all the other ones because we don't really know who put it there or what it really is. Do you know what it is? Or yeah, it's a nest. A bird palace. Yeah, I told my son it's for bad kids. <laughs> for bad kids. <laughs> to an expert on sculptures, there is an art to its mystery. I think that's the great thing about public art is that uh, it's supposed to inspire you or create curiosity, and it certainly creates curiosity for me. But I think the intent of these artists was clearly uh, an anonymity. And the artists are still officially anonymous. However, there was a close encounter with a local resident. After a storm, um, one or two of the sides had blown in. And so I came across the fellows who had been responsible for putting it up there. And they're fixing it. So I just asked them about it. I said, are you the artist? And they said, yeah. And they'd put it up one foggy November night. <laughs> they apparently put it up as a personal protest against the high cost of housing downtown. And so this was his pretend home, close, close to work. 
And this piece is well thought out guerrilla art because it's in a neutral site location. Uh, it's not officially on city land, so it's in the water. So uh, knowing uh, uh, jurisdictions and such, it probably has a good chance of staying until it disintegrates. <laughs> and I hope I never get these guys into trouble because we love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's great. Now I wonder mm -hmm. if because it's been put out there, if they'll come forward or somebody will give them up. No, they would stay quiet, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I bet you they'll put up something else next. That's they should. Right. As a response. Keep the mystery going. And we can talk about that next time. Yeah. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Oh, look at the orcas again. He's going to look at it, too. Yeah. Everyone wants to see it. Maybe.